I'd love to introduce um, Dr. Brian Taylor and his wife, Siobhan. Uh, we have had the privilege of uh, spending a little bit of time with them yesterday. Uh, they are absolutely remarkable people. I'm going to start with Siobhan. I was, so, I was so blown away by her knowledge about teaching. She's actually a teacher, a Montessori teacher. And as she started speaking about it, I could tell this woman could speak about this forever, and it was so interesting. I was glued. I was like, I could listen to this forever. So if we have any teachers in the house, please come and speak to her afterwards. You will learn, you will learn incredible things. She knows a lot, and she's, she's so um, passionate about how God, how God is used in education to, to release the potential of every student to become who they're meant to be. So we'd love you to connect with her if you get a chance. Dr. Brian is one of the professors at our Every Nation Seminary. Uh, he, as you know, did his thesis on uh, church leadership. He is, he is in the department of hermeneutics and preaching. If you don't know what hermeneutics means, it just means how to rightly understand and interpret the Bible. So he knows the Bible well, but also every time I hear him preach, he he exemplifies someone who lives in the word so that the word is able to change him. When he speaks about the word, it changes me. And it's a powerful experience. I'm, I'm so delighted. When I heard him lecturing on, um, on preaching recently, I, I thought in my heart, I have to get this man to our church. And so I'm so grateful that he's here. They have two boys, uh, 15 and... 17 on Friday. Lord bless him. Jo Joshua and Isaiah. Elijah. And guys, I did know that before I stood up. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's there. It's right there. Read and you will find out all the right details. But, but more than all of that, I just really want to commend this, these couple as carriers of God's kingdom, followers and lovers of Jesus, people who have given their lives for, for God's word and the gospel to be known in the world. And we are so honored and privileged to have you both. Won't you stand up and can we give them a hand? Pastor Brian, Dr. Brian, you can come on up and give him a hand as he comes. All right, well, good morning, every nation or Ramsic. Was that okay? I want you to know just how, um, if nothing else gets accomplished today, that if I could say that word correctly, um, <laughs> I've been practicing saying that for uh, a couple of days now. So thank you, Pastor Carol, for helping making sure that I can get that uh, correct. But it is such an honor to be here with you today. Um, this, this means so much. Um, to, to my wife and I to be able to be here. Our, our three kids are uh, a little bit jealous that they don't get an opportunity to be here today with you, uh, but they are looking up information about South Africa, so we'll go ahead and quiz them when they get back home. My wife is a teacher, by the way, and um, I just have to say just how much of an honor it is to be here as well, um, just being here with Pastor Carol, uh, Pastor Andrew, and uh, just Pastor Hilma that I get a chance to see, and, and, and other faces in here that have been familiar. But one of the things that, you know, we live on 
uh, a whole other continent, so we don't always get a chance to be uh, together, but when we do, I can just tell you this, I've just been deeply personally encouraged by uh, Pastor Carol's love for the Word of God, uh, for her heart, for the people. I mean, I just feel like I already know all of you just by getting a chance to be around um, the Gospels and just getting an opportunity to see her passion um, for ministry and the work that they have done over the years. And so I'm encouraged. In fact, we had a 10-year anniversary as a church, Every Nation Cincinnati, not too long ago. And on the screen, being encouraged, we were able to see Pastor Carol wishing our church a happy anniversary. And so I am, we have been blessed all the way. You guys don't even know this, but you've got family members all the way in Cincinnati, Ohio, that love you, that are thankful for what God is doing here. And so um, let, me, let me start off by asking this. How many people love history? Do I have any history buffs? I know some people tend to kind of, you know, kind of their eyes kind of gloss over a little bit when we talk about history. But uh, I won't be long, but I just want to just give us a little bit of historical um, context to the nation of Germany. You guys are like, that's kind of random, right? Now, after World War II, which both my grandfathers fought in, and after World War II, the nation of Germany was really um, split into two. And you had um, Eastern Germany, which were um, the Soviets, and, and really the ideal of that part of Germany was communism. And then you had on the west side of Germany, Western Germany, you had the United States, you had France, you had, um, you had Great Britain, um, and, and you had capitalism as the primary ideals of that particular culture. And so while they were one nation in one sense, they were totally divided. And one of the ways that that divide was demonstrated was through a wall that was built known as the... The Berlin Wall. Now, uh, for those who remember this, you probably are not able to make it to the Bri because we have to be a little bit older because I think it was 25 to 35. But, um, but, but there was a, a dividing wall, and this wall lasted from 1961 all the way to 1989. And this wall would stretch, and it really became a symbol of what division looked like in the world. In fact, there were over 170 people that died trying to cross over the wall. And so I can remember when I was younger, um, the, the then U.S. President Ronald Reagan, he, he made a, a, a comment in one of his speeches. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And eventually what happened, not just because of that, but because of other things, there was a lot of pressure from around the world. Guess what happened to the Berlin Wall? It came down. People became, began to celebrate all around the world. They began to take pieces of the wall. In fact, I know some people that got little pieces of the wall of Berlin. And, and, and around the world, it became a celebration of the fact that a nation that was once divided has had a wall that has been broken down. Now people from Eastern Germany can go to Western Germany, and Western Germany can go to Eastern Germany. And now we are all united. But a funny thing happened. After the wall was torn down, people in eastern Germany tended to stay with people in eastern Germany. And people in western Germany tended to stay with people in western Germany. And they called this phenomenon the wall in the head. 
So even though the wall physically had been broken down, there was walls in the heads of the people that caused them to act as if they were still divided, even though there was no longer a need to be. You know, when you look in places like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, we are reminded that the barrier of division because of Christ that separates Jew and Gentile has been torn down. Do you know that no matter who you are, where you are, if you're in Christ, we have been made um, not only brought into a relationship with God, but God brings us into a relationship with one another. The wall has been torn down. And the church said, amen. Is that not good news? with the wall in the head. And what I have found is that every culture and every generation has had to deal with their own version of walls. Where I'm from in, in the United States, we have had plenty of walls. Walls that have been um, built up by people's political preference. Walls that have been built up because of the color of people's skin. And I know that in the history of this nation, apartheid has, 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 has done that. I won't dare to speak on it as an expert. You all know way better than I do. But what I do know is whether it's the caste system in India, whether it's apartheid in South Africa, whether it's racism that's um, blatant and, and Jim Crow laws, which are in the United States, or whether it's economically based, there are walls that divide people. And the question is, will the church live as those who are united in Christ, or will we still continue to operate with walls that have been in our head. And what I want to read to us today from Acts chapter 15 is an example of what happened in the first century church when they had to deal with a wall that really jeopardized not only their unity, but also the mission that they were called to do. And I know you all have been reading through the book of Acts, and so I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 9. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. 
after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to, the, to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. I want to look again here at verse 9. It says, and they made no, and he made no distinction between us and them. I want to talk to us today about tearing down the wall of us and them. Because one of the things that I know is that when we come into the family of God, Whatever our understanding of us is, however you describe us, that circle of us gets way bigger. In fact, one of the things I love about going to conferences like we just had in Cape Town is that it reminds us that our circle of us is filled with people who look different, people that sometimes think different, that grew up different, that like eating different types of food. And yet, in Christ, everybody say in Christ. In Christ, the wall that separates us and them is torn down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm asking that as we open your word that you would open our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the example that we see here in Acts chapter 15. Lord, I pray that we would learn from this, God, but that we would not just come out of here with more information, God. We not, we not only need to be informed, we need to be transformed. So transform us, God, by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 15 is a pivotal time in the history of the church. They have what's called the Council of Jerusalem, but if I could just kind of back up a little bit to kind of give a little backdrop in Acts of what has been going on. In, in, in the end of Acts chapter 14, Barnabas and Paul have now finished up. They've wrapped up their first missionary journey, and they've seen some amazing things happening. They've seen God um, opened the hearts of people. They've seen doors for the gospel opened. Um, they've, they've seen miracles taking place. These are the type of things that would encourage anybody if you heard it. But they also saw persecution. They saw opposition. And they also um, came to a point where Paul almost lost his life for the gospel. How many of you know that when you're doing the work of the Lord, that opportunity and opposition tend to go hand in hand? If you find yourself um, doing the work of the Lord and having a lot of opportunities, just look around the corner. There's probably going to be some opposition coming as well. But if you are seeing a lot of opposition in your life doing the work of the Lord, keep hope up because you also know that there's opportunities right around the corner. And this is what we see here in, in, in their first missionary journey. And so they return from the mission field, and they come back to Antioch, and they begin sharing the testimony of all that God has been doing. 
Could you imagine how excited they would have been to hear all these testimonies? Could you imagine what it would have been like hearing about God opening eyes and, and, and the things that he was doing in the hearts of people and the Gentiles coming to faith? All of these things are amazing. It's like Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is now coming to life. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so now the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. But in the midst of all of this, there's some disruptive teachings that are starting to come into the church. The church needs to deal with this because as excited as they are, There's some walls that need to be addressed. And we get here to verse 1, and here's what it tells us. It says, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Don't you love that when it says brethren? We don't say that in the States that much, brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, there were, there were many people that were coming to Christ during that time. And there was some excitement about what Jesus was doing in the hearts of these Gentiles. But now you have another message saying, hold up, hold up. Before you start celebrating, before you start getting excited, I want you to understand that they're not really saved yet. Because unless they have been saved and have been circumcised according to the custom of Moses, they are really not saved. Now, I want to take in mind, who, is, who, who are they speaking to? This is the church in Antioch. You may remember Antioch in Acts chapter 11. This was the church that was formed because there were some people that had the boldness and the audacity to share the gospel, not only with Jews, but with non-Jews, with Gentiles. And it tells us that the hand of the Lord was with them, meaning that this church was growing, was prospering. And so this was a church that was filled with diversity, kind of like the church that I'm looking at right now. It's one of those churches, and and I remember thinking this about my own church. I wanted to be a place where you can't tell, is this a black church or a white church? Is is this a, a Latino church or an Asian church? I really don't know. It's just the church. But now there's teachings in there that's beginning to, to lead people to say, I don't really know. Can I, can I really trust the salvation that I have? In fact, I believe in Galatians, Paul is referring to this in chapter 2. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Be careful of the voices that you allow to start coming into your ears. Voices that would try to take the liberty and the unity that God has built here. Paul was saying that, listen, they're they're trying to come in and rob people of their bondage. And so they had to go and figure out what was the the situation. And so in verse 2 it says, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. How many of you know this was a big issue? They had to get this right. See, the problem was not there were Gentiles, which means non-Jews, getting saved. 
The problem was that there were Gentiles that were getting saved without becoming Jewish first. And the real question that the church had to deal with was how much like us do they need to be like in order to be right with Jesus? And this was a heated debate. I love when the Bible says things like they had a sharp debate. There was dissension. You know what that means? They were mad. They, they, they were mad. What we say in the States sometimes, they were big mad. And so they had to go and figure this out. And so they said, listen, this is so big, we're going to send you up to Jerusalem to go and really look into this issue. So they sent Paul and Barnabas and some others along with them, and they go to Jerusalem. And on the way, they stop in some places. Phoenicia, remind you that, that the way they traveled back then was not like they were able to get on an airplane and just land in a place. By the way, we had quite the, the journey getting to South Africa from the United States. We had two plane cancellations, and so it actually caused us to get here um, two days or three days later than what we were supposed to be. But I can't complain knowing what traveling must have been like during these days. So on their way, they stopped at different places. They stopped at Phoenicia. They stopped at Samaria. And as they would stop there, Paul would take advantage of the opportunity to share all that God was doing. People were being encouraged. And then they finally land in Jerusalem. When they get to Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that people immediately welcome them in. Hey, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, there, there's a sense of family and unity. But I want to look here at what it says in verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. So they realized, okay, we can't get agreement on this. This was not one of those issues that was just, hey, you've got your opinion, I've got my opinion. It was the gospel itself that was at stake. When we talk about issues of reconciliation as the body of Christ, it's not simply a matter of preference. Really, it's what do we believe about the gospel? And what I love about this passage is that you, you see what good leadership in the church looks like. They didn't try to run away from the hard conversations. They were willing to lean into it. And I have to say this, as a pastor, and, and perhaps you all know what it is, when, when difficult situations come up and conversations come up, when it, it's so easy to want to just avoid it altogether. If I could just bury my head in the sand and act like there's no tension and no issues, then wouldn't that be nice? But sometimes you've got to lean into the tough conversations. And so this is what the leadership in the church is doing now. They're leaning into the tough conversations, and they're going to figure out what does the Lord have to say about this. And you have a response here. In verses 7 through, through 11, you have Peter's response. And then in verse 12, you have Paul and Barnabas talking about their, um, their experiences. And then in verses 13, throughout the rest of the chapter, you have James. He begins to get up, quoting from one of the prophets, Amos, and he's beginning to get the word of the Lord. And a decision comes out of this that helps the mission continue. So let's read on here from verses 7 through 9. It says, after there had been much debate, 
Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. I love that right there. Here's what we have to understand about the gospel. Here's the first point, if you're taking notes. The gospel destroys unnecessary distinctions. Now, what Peter was referencing here is what took place back in chapter 10. You may remember that Paul had a, he had a vision um, from, from God, and God shows up and tells him to, to go with some Gentiles that lead him to the man's house named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman soldier. And if you understand something about how their cultures worked back then, a Jew would not go into the home of a Roman soldier. That was a no-no. In fact, he had to deal with a little bit of heat from some of his other fellow believers when he came back home for that. But here's what's interesting. As Peter gets there, he begins to preach, and guess what's happening? As he's preaching, the Holy Spirit comes on the people. It's almost like God is like, I'm not even going to wait for you to finish your sermon. The Holy Spirit uh, fell on them. They began to speak in tongues and other languages, and and, and they began to to worship God. And you know what's funny? There's so much humor, by the way, in the Bible, if you pay attention to what's going on there. I want to translate what's happening in verse 47 of Acts chapter 10. Well, I guess the Holy Spirit fell on them. We can't stop them from getting baptized, can we? Can I translate what that is? It's like them saying, well, I, I guess Jesus loves them too. You ever had people that you had to realize that Jesus loved them too? It's like, I mean, I know he loves us. He, he loves people who, who, who look like me, who speak like me, who grew up like me. But I guess God loves them too. You know what? Go ahead and baptize them. Go on, just baptize them anyway. They can get baptized too. There's a revelation that God had to grow is that, no, 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 I love them too. I love you, but I love them too. And what happens in the gospel is that these unnecessary distinctions, those walls start getting torn down. I love what um, um, Christina Cleveland, who's a um, uh, uh, sociologist, um, a Christian sociologist, here's a quote that she said. She said, the categories of us and them is the underlying distinction that destroys unity in the body of Christ. Who is your circle of us? When you think about us, who do you think about? Now, there's a lot of ways that we define us. I can define us by my ethnicity, I can define us as the people who vote like me. I can define us as a lot of different things. And and here's what I want you to understand is that our unity is not uniformity. And what I mean by that is that there is beauty in in the tribe that you come from and the way that you look and the language that you have. In fact, that beauty is so important that even in Revelation 7, they recognize every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That beauty is to be celebrated, not just tolerated. We don't just tolerate one another. 
That's why when culture talks about tolerance, it's such a cheapened version of what the Bible has as unity. But what we're understanding here is that while we have our differences, we're unified. We're diversified and we're unified together because God makes no unnecessary distinctions and the gospel breaks down the walls. So I can come all the way from North America, struggle to say words in Afrikaans, but I can still be received as a brother in Christ. And I can still look at you as sisters and brothers in Christ. Why? Because the gospel destroys unnecessary distinctions. And you know what I love that that Peter said here in verse 11? He said, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. I got to tell you, that gets me really excited. You you know what Peter is saying, right? The same grace that saved us is the same grace that saved them. The same Jesus that came chasing after us is the same Jesus that has gone chasing after them. The same blood that it took to save me is the same blood that it took to save you. That's why the gospel is good news. You may have heard this gospel summation that the gospel is good news that God became man in Jesus, living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have died in our place. Three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead, proving that he truly is the Son of God, offering salvation and forgiveness of sins to those who repent and turn towards him in faith. And that same gospel that changed my life in the United States is the same gospel that's changing lives in people's hearts in China and is changing people's hearts in the Middle East and changing people's hearts in South Africa. The gospel destroys unnecessary distinctions. Let me read for you Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Since there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So, so through this council, they understand that the, the gospel destroys unnecessary distinction. But here's another thing. Here's my second point. The gospel destroys unnecessary yokes. Look at what it says here in verse 10. This is Peter still speaking. He says, now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? When he's using that word yoke here, he's talking about unnecessary burdens. It's like when you hold up a bar for somebody and we say, listen, you can be a part of this if you can live up to our bar. It's not the gospel, but it's the bar that we have set, and it is called a yoke, an unnecessary burden. Now, the the, the yoke here is they had to be circumcised. And you all know what circumcision means. It's the cut, and you know. Now, we probably would look at that and say, that is crazy. Right? I'm, I'm guessing I've yet to walk into a church where somebody's checking to, to see who's circumcised and who's not, and, and thankful for that. But so, so in, our, in our context, we are probably thinking, that's crazy. Why would somebody require that? 
But for them, that meant something because that was a mark of being a part of God's chosen people. But it's possible that we can create yokes for people as well. Let me tell you what this has looked like historically in missions. You you have versions of missions that has been more about um, bringing our culture to dominate rather than bringing the gospel. And so people, you have colonialism, and this has happened all over the world, where people say, okay, we're going to bring you the gospel, but for you to receive this gospel, you've got to dress like we dress, you've got to talk like we talk, you've got to sing like we sing. Oh, no, you can't dance. Oh, no, you can't do this. Or, no, you can't do that. What are you doing? You're putting yokes on people that, that are more identified with your culture than it is the gospel. And sometimes we can do this even on a day-to-day basis when we're sharing our faith. We say, hey, you can come to Jesus, but before you come to Jesus, you need to get this right, get this right, get this right, get this right. And you got to do all these standards and realize that that can't happen. If you go back to, to Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is calling the first disciples, you know what's interesting that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It is in the process of following that we're made into something else. But sometimes we get it backwards. Make ourselves into something so that we can follow. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not make yourself good, make yourself clean, make yourself moral, then follow Jesus. The gospel is follow me and I will make you into something else. And we have to ask, what are the unnecessary yokes that we place over people's lives? I don't know if any of you have heard of a missionary named Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a missionary that went to inland China. But it was as if he got a revelation about the gospel. Because while other people were going there and trying to preach a gospel that made people conform not only to Jesus, but to conform to their cultural way of life, he got a revelation that said, you know what? I'm not going to come there and try to make them look like me, speak like me, act like me. I'm not going to put unnecessary yokes over people. I'm going to come and become like the people that God has called me to reach. And he began to dress like those who were in inland China. He began to learn the language of those who were in inland China. And so he was able to bring the gospel in a way where they were able to preserve the uniqueness of how God made them and at the same time receive the gospel. The gospel destroys unnecessary yokes. But here's the third thing. And this is, this is going to be my final point, but I want you to, 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 to really grab this because I think the first and second point is, is, is pretty clear, but I'm going to have to do some unpacking here for my third point. The gospel destroys unnecessary offenses. Let me read something here. Here's, here's what happens. They, uh, when, when James, and not the brother of John, but many people believe this is the half-brother of Jesus, when he gets up and he begins to quote scripture and, and you've heard from Paul and Barnabas, you've heard from Peter, now he makes a, a pronouncement as well in agreement with what these men were saying. And so the result of this 
is that now they're going to send a letter to all the Gentile churches that had been troubled by these teachers that came in and telling them all these yokes that they were placing on them. Now he's helping them. But I want you to listen to something that's mentioned in this letter that's being sent back to the churches. And I want to read here verses 28 and 29. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Does anybody else ever read the Bible and just find yourself at times like, huh? Okay, I, I get, okay, fornication, okay. Let's stay away from sex outside of marriage. Got it? Okay, things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled. <laughs> okay. Now, now there's some, there some, there some cultural things that we get, need to be aware of. A lot of times when meat was served, it, um, you know, when you, you would go to your, your, your local bry, and there was, and, and there, there, was, there was meat that was being served, most of the time that meat had been sacrificed to an idol. And, and, and so there was these, um, um, there, there was an understanding, of, there was these questions during these days, hey, if you're a Christian, can we eat meat? Can we not eat meat? I don't know if it's okay to do this or not. Um, but, but then there, there was the strangling of meat. And, and if you understand this, if you were a Jew, you would have been appalled to see somebody who was eating that type of meat, especially if they were called a brother or sister in Christ. So what is, what is being said here? There's an understanding that if they were to eat in this type of a way, it would be so offensive that unity and fellowship would almost be unbearable. I, I want to read something here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that might bring a little bit of light to this. Can you guys bear with me just for a little bit as we unpack this? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to look at verses 4 through 8. It says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that the liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 
Huh. So there is an understanding is that, listen, you are free in Christ. You're free. Do you guys know how free we are in Christ? We are free in him. We're not under bondage. We're not under the yoke. We have been set free. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. You're free to eat meat. You're free to eat all of these things. But there's something there that needs to be understood. You have to be mindful of what you are doing, even in your freedom, and how that affects your brothers and sisters in Christ. I would rather give up things that I have the freedom to do for the sake of the conscience of my brother and sister in Christ. And so he is teaching them something that is necessary if we're going to be unified and diversified at the same time. Now, these may not be the type of issues that we deal with in our culture, but the question is, what are the things that may be done that's offensive to others? Well, I'm free. It doesn't matter. If that's them, that's their problem. They got an issue with that. I'm going to enjoy this ham sandwich right here. But if I'm sitting down with a brother in Christ that is struggling in his conscience because he doesn't know that that's okay to eat, I'm not just going to violate and trample on his conscience. Love tells us I will take away my freedom to eat what I want to eat for the sake of relationship. Here's one of the things we have to understand. Unity costs us something. Now, first of all, it costs Jesus the most, right? Revelation 5, 9, through his blood for all of us, every nation, every tribe. But for us to walk in it, sometimes it will cost you your preference, your privilege, and your power. And sometimes I've got to be willing to say, I care more about being in a relationship with you than my right to do what I want to do. And this is what I believe is that they're getting at at the heart of this letter. Because what the gospel does, the gospel not only brings us into relationship with the Father, he brings us into relationship with one another. And we realize that because we've been brought into relationship with one another, now the distinctions that used to keep us separated as us and them, that wall has been torn down. And those yokes that we try to put on other people, because, you know, sometimes it's like you, we put up signs on it says, everybody's welcome here. But, but what we really mean is everybody's welcome here as long as they're willing to become like us. And in the gospel, we see that unnecessary offense. Philippians 2 talks about this. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. But when we see this happening, this is so pivotal for the church. It's not simply now they figured out this issue, that wall has come down, so now we can all just kind of sit around together as a diverse community. No, what happens after this? The mission continues. 
And now the mission of the gospel is able to go forth. Not simply, because as you continue reading here, uh, now Paul and Barnabas have their little issue and disagreement, but we, we'll let somebody else preach on that later. But, 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 but what, what we see here is that as we continue on in chapter 16, the mission of God continues to the, God, uh, to the Gentiles, and now Acts chapter 1 verse 8 continues to take place. The gospel is going forth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And so the reason why this is important, because it's mission critical. If the walls in our hearts have not come down, and if the walls in our minds have not come down, then the mission will be stifled. But when we do allow for those walls to come down, we get an opportunity to reflect the beauty of God's kingdom. You know, um, I, back in 2011, I had an opportunity, I'm going to get ready to close with this, but I had an opportunity to um, go to Kingston, Jamaica three times. Anybody ever been to Jamaica before? Um, I, I wasn't there for the, for the vacation part. We were doing some ministry work that was there, but I loved the food. I, I got to be honest. It was, I mean, um, you know, ackee and sawfish, oxtail. Uh, actually, I had some oxtail here in South Africa. Uh, I mean, it was just, it, it, it's some, uh, some amazing food that we were eating. Every tingle is really good, Irie, you know? Uh, and so, um, uh, and, 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 and so, but I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, and, and while probably most of you have never been to Ohio, I just want to let you know that Ohio is a long ways away from Jamaica. Not just geographically, but culturally. But there's a friend of mine who actually owns a Jamaican restaurant right there in Cincinnati. You walk into the restaurant, you start hearing the island music, you see the colors of their nation, you start getting a taste of the food, the festival, the oxtail, the beef patties, all these different types of things. And so what that restaurant is, is a taste of Jamaica while living in Cincinnati. Do you know what Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6? He said, I want you to pray this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Anybody know this? On earth as it is in heaven. You know what I believe happens when walls start coming down of divisions of us and them? It's that we begin to give the world a taste of heaven on earth. In a world that doesn't know what the kingdom of God is like, and they're trying so hard to say, we want to get unity, we want to have tolerance, and we want to have all these different things, and they're trying to figure out how in the world do we get people who are black and people who are colored and people who are white to have more than just window dressing. And the church says, let me just give you a taste of this right here. Let me, let me give you a taste. I, I, I know that, that we're living in Cincinnati, and, and, and we want to get a taste of Jamaica, but if you come inside of this place, you can get a taste of Jamaica right here in Cincinnati. And you know what I believe this church is called to be? I believe that this church is called to be a taste of heaven on earth. And one of the most powerful evangelistic tools that we have as the body of Christ is to show them a people 
where the walls of us and them has been torn down. I want to pray for us here today. I want to, I want to pray for a couple of groups of people here. But perhaps as we were going through Acts chapter 15, you may realize, God, I've, I still got some walls in my mind that need to be torn down. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you are some horrible person. It just means that sometimes we've got some walls that are still there that we don't even know that are there. Maybe there's some yokes that you've been placing on others and you, you've judged other people because they're not like you. Maybe there's been some, some, some ways of thinking that has caused you to, to say, you know what, I, I can, I can, we, can, we can meet together, but we can't eat together. And maybe there's some walls that has kept you or that has kept other people on the outside. You've refused to build with people at a heart level. But as I'm praying for people who maybe have kept people out because of walls in their head, sometimes the walls in your head can make you feel like an outsider. You could feel like I'm less than or I'm outside. I will never be like that person there. I'll never be like them. I'll, I can be in the midst, but I'll always feel like I'm a step or two on the outside of what God is doing because I don't realize that there's walls in my head that God wants to tear down. See, walls can work in both ways. They not only keep other people out, they keep you out as well. And maybe there's some walls that God wants to deal with in your own heart to say, you know what, I want to let you know you're welcome, you're free to be a part of my family. You're not a lesser member of the family. When my kids find themselves messing up and you know what, we have some, some amazing kids, but every so often, even pastor's kids are not perfect. I don't tell them, hey, you know what, I want the, two of my kids, you guys can sit at the table, but one of you, I want you to sit down here on the floor and eat over there. No, no, no. Okay, you messed up. Come sit at the table and eat. Yeah, but I don't really know. I didn't get as good of grades as my siblings did. Sit at this table and eat. Why? Because this table is for the family. I want to let you know that there's a table that God has set for us. Heavenly Father, help us today. Help us today. See those walls torn down in our hearts and in our minds whether those walls keep us out or whether those walls keep other people out. We know that you have torn down the wall. We know that the gospel destroys unnecessary distinctions, unnecessary yokes, and calls unnecessary offenses to be destroyed as well. But Lord, help us to not live with the wall in our minds. Help us to honor you. 
Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Carol. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Dr. Pastor Brian. That was absolutely fantastic. I just want us to sit a little bit in that revelation. Father, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. Lord, we open our hearts to every person that has felt on the outskirts, Lord God, and we, we open ourselves to be the kind of people that welcome everyone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to invite us to all stand for a moment. As we've heard, before we know Christ, we are in fact alienated from the life of and the very desires and the passions of our heart are left unmet because we cannot be with the one who made our souls and who knows how we work best. And as we come into this kind of environment, of course we are, we are being united to one another and God is doing a powerful work there, but the first and primary work is that he would unite us to him. And if you are here and you cannot say for certainty that God through Christ has, has actually not just intellectually made a way, but has actually made a way so that I know that I am united to Christ, that I'm united with him to my heavenly father, that I am born again, that he is my Lord and savior. I wanna give us an opportunity to pray together for that to happen. So can we all pray this together? Lord Jesus, I come to you and I thank you for the magnificent work that you have done in reconciling me to you and to these people. Lord, I surrender my life. I acknowledge you as my savior. And I ask that you would take over my life and give me the things that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, perhaps this is the first time you've prayed it or you have prayed it some other times, but there have been you haven't really known how to walk it out and you've you found yourself um, not being able to stick with that commitment. So if you prayed that for the first time or you've prayed it a couple of times but you, you meant it this time and you really want to make this work, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand because I'd like to acknowledge you and I'd like to pray for you and we would like to acknowledge you, the decision that you've made. So if you're here and you have made that decision, you prayed that prayer and meant it, can you just raise your hand? We would love to acknowledge you. Is there anyone here who's done that? We're just going to give you a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who's done that? Thank you. I see you. So grateful. So grateful. 
can you do me a favor? Can you just grab your things and can you walk out of the aisle and come to the front here? I would love to, act, when I say pray for you, I'd love to lay my hands on you and pray for you, looking you in the eye and let you know that you, we love you and you're welcome. So if that's you, won't you just grab your things and come on forward. Let's give them a hand. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. We welcome you. Come a little closer so that I can, I can reach you. Lord Jesus, extend your hands, church. Lord Jesus, we welcome each of these. We say yes to the decision they've made, Lord God. Father God, we say they belong. They have a home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Lord God, I ask that you would fill them with your spirit. We just agree with the prayer they made and we just declare these born again in your name. Made right, reconciled in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Give them a hand. There is a magnificent woman behind you. Her name is Bonolo and she has a few things she wants to give you and just to let you know what the next steps are so if you wouldn't mind following her she will just have you for about five or so minutes so just go ahead with her and you can give her them a hand as they leave otherwise may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face to shine upon you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name, God bless you. You're amazing. Go and live the life that Jesus has given you. God bless you.